بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين الحمد لله ثم الحمد لله We continue once again with our explanation on the beautiful names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the book Fiqh Al-Asma'il Husna by Sheikh Abdul Razak Al-Badr Hafizahullah Ta'ala um, We are nearing the end of the book Alhamdulillah and Hopefully by the end of next week, just before the month of Ramadan, we will complete our book, insha'Allah ta'ala. Uh, the next name that the Sheikh mentions is the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Al-Hayi. Al-Hayi. This name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is found in two ahadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and it is not found in the Qur'an. An example is a hadith in Abu Dawood and Nasai, the hadith of Ya'la ibn Umayyah radiallahu anhu, that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama saw a man taking a bath in a public place, bila izar, and he had no lower garment wrapped around him. He then, meaning the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, then ascended the mimbar, he praised Allah, and he said, inna Allah azza wa jal, Hayyun sitirun yuhibbu al-hayaa wa sitr That indeed Allah Azza wa Jal is hayy, He is modest. And He is sitir or satir. And He loves hayaa and He loves sitr. He loves modesty and He loves veiling. فَإِذَا اغْتَسَلَ أَحَدُكُمْ فَلْيَسْتَتِرُ So if any of you takes a bath, let him cover himself. Let him veil himself. And that's a hadith in Abu Dawood and Nasai, where the name of Allah is of Hayyi is mentioned. Another hadith narrated by Salman al-Farisi, radiallahu anhu, he said that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Inna rabbakum tabaraka wa ta'ala hayyun kareemun. Indeed, your Lord, tabaraka wa ta'ala, the blessed, blessed and exalted is he, is hayyun kareemun. He is modest. Or shy, he is modest and he is karimun and he is also honorable or generous. Yastahi min abdihi ida rafa'a yadayhi ilayhi an yaruddahuma sifra. And Allah becomes modest or shy towards his slave. When that slave raises his hands up to him, that Allah does not respond to him or that Allah does not return a dua or a reward or the acceptance of that dua to him. Yani Allah becomes too shy towards the slave when the slave raises the hands in dua that Allah does not accept the dua that Allah allows him to drop his hands empty that's basically what the hadith is saying this hadith is also in Abu Dawood and Ibn Majah and this hadith as we can see Allah is Hayyun Karimun this is how Rasulullah mentioned it Allah is Hayyun shy or modest and this is what this name Al-Hayy means so Shaykh Abdul Razak, he explains and he says, in this honorable name, what do we find? We find the attribute of haya, one of Allah's sifat, he has the sifa of haya. Allah has an attribute of modesty. This is one of his attributes 
as is befitting him, as is due unto his perfection and his majesty, Jalla Jalaluhu. So we say that in every attribute of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is nothing like unto him. There is no example like his attributes. Nothing can be compared to his attributes. Nothing that is created can be compared to these attributes of Allah. As Allah says, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ There is nothing like unto him. There is no example like him or unto him. And he is al-sami' and al-basir, the all-hearing and the all-seeing. So without a doubt, from this name is an attribute. And from what is the attribute? The attribute is an attribute of haya, an attribute of, of modesty or of shyness. Haya is also mentioned in the Quran and Sunnah. Haya is also mentioned in the Quran and Sunnah and Sunnah. Attributed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but not his name that's mentioned. But the attribute is there. For example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Baqarah, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَسْتَحْيِي وَلَا يَسْتَحْيِي أَنْ يَضْرِبَ مَثَلًا مَا بَعُوضَةً فَمَا فَوْقَهَا إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَسْتَحْيِي أَنْ يَضْرِبَ مَثَلًا مَا بَعُوضَةً فَمَا فَوْقَهَا in, Indeed, Allah is not shy. He is not shy to give an example using a mosquito, like that of a mosquito, or فوقها, or that which is even smaller than a mosquito. Allah is not shy to use an example that's as small as a mosquito, or even something that's smaller than a mosquito. This is basically what the ayah, but the ayah says, لا يستحيي. Allah is not shy to do this. The attribute of haya is mentioned, of shyness or modesty is mentioned um, in the Quran. So not the name is not mentioned in the Quran, but the attribute is mentioned. Whereas the name is mentioned in at least two of the hadith, as we mentioned. In another hadith, in Sahihayn, meaning Bukhari and Muslim, from Abu Waqid al-Layth, that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he was sitting in the masjid amongst the people. And three people then entered the masjid. Two of them came and he sat, you know, in this gathering with the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, whilst the third one he left. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Well, two of them, as we said, they came to the Prophet sallam And the first of them, he entered into a gap There was a small gap in the halqa And he immediately sat himself in, into that gap As the, for the third one, he sat behind the halqa Behind the gathering, just slightly behind, just outside of the He's part of the gathering, but just behind the people As for the third one, he turned and he, and he left when Rasulullah sallallahu was done, he stood up and he said, Should I not inform you about these three people? He said, as for the first one, he came to Allah seeking, you know, a, 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 a shelter or an accommodation. So Allah accommodated him. And he was the one who filled the gap immediately. Allah accommodated him. And he's the best of them because of the way he filled the gap and he got as close as possible um, to the lesson and so forth. As for the, the second one, He was shy. And he showed this modesty and shyness. He didn't want to just sit, you know, in the gap or uh, within the, he sat slightly behind. So the hadith says, Allah was shy towards him. Allah was modest towards him. As for the third one, the other, He turned away. And so Allah turned away from him. Subhanallah. And that hadith, I'm sure we can sit down and really speak about in a lot more detail 
and derive a lot of benefits from that hadith looking at the first person the way he approached the gathering what was said about him the second person and the third person however uh, that's not of course the topic at hand so time does not allow us to delve too deep into these ahadith but the hadith mentions this attribute fastahya min allah fastahya min allah was shy towards him as well this attribute is now again attributed to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so the sheikh says that our speech or our opinion towards this sifa, this attribute of shyness or modesty towards Allah, is the same way we approach every other attribute that is established and confirmed and mentioned for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So we say that Allah's knowledge, for example, is an attribute of His that's not like our knowledge. His sight is an attribute of His that's not like our sight. His hearing, the same. His will, the same. Likewise, his haya, Allah has shyness and modesty, but it's not like our shyness. It's not, it can never be compared to our shyness um, and so forth. Whatever Allah uh, mentioned about himself and whatever Rasulullah affirmed about Allah, we affirm for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well because nobody knows Allah better than Allah himself and than his messenger sallallahu alayhi Wasallam. <clears throat> Shaykh Abdul Razak then says, he mentions some speech of Ibn Al-Qayyim once again, Imam Ibn Al-Qayyim rahimahullah, where he said that as for the haya of Allah, al-Rabb tabarak wa ta'ala, min abdihi, as for Allah's haya towards his slaves, then he says this is something else. It's something different. La tudrikuhul afham. That no understanding can possibly uh, grasp and no intellect can possibly understand nor can any intellect possibly um, understand how لا تكيفه العقول no intellect can understand how this haya actually is how is Allah shy how can he be shy Allahu A'lam nobody can possibly understand this because he, his haya he says is is karam it's honorable it's good it's beneficent it's Subhanallah, so many attributes he mentions that part of this attribute of Allah's haya. Um, and it's attributes of perfection. It is attributes of perfection as is every single attribute of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The shaykh then moves on and he mentions uh, that Allah azza wa jal, he loves his names and attributes. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves his names and he loves his attributes. And he loves to see the effects and the understanding of his names and attributes within his creation. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he loves that we understand his names and that we try and we understand his attributes and that we try our best to benefit from it and to incorporate within ourselves the athar of those attributes, the effects and the fruits of those attributes. So we've mentioned this point and we mention it again. Just like Allah is hayi, he's full of modesty and shyness and he loves his name and the attribute of modesty and shyness, he loves the people who are modest and shy. He loves Ahlul Haya. Those people, those slaves of his who are full of modesty as well, who show modesty, who have modesty towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who are shy of Allah. Like Allah is Kareem, he loves those who are Kareem to others. Like he's Rahman, 
Rahim, he loves those who have mercy and compassion to, and compassion to others, and so forth. He is Muhsin, he loves the people of Ihsan. He loves those who are good to others. He is the all-forgiving, he loves those who are forgiving to others, and so forth. We can take all of those powerful, beautiful names of Allah, and those attributes of perfection. Perfection belongs to Allah alone. But he loves that we benefit from those attributes and learn lessons from those attributes and incorporate it within ourselves. So we see Allah has the perfect attribute of Rahmah, we should also be merciful. Allah has the perfect attribute of generosity, we should be generous. Allah is completely shy and uh, modest, we should try our best to be shy and modest and so forth. Right? We've been through many names, possibly nearly a hundred names we have reached and we are going to go beyond a hundred names, alhamdulillah, in this course. Um, and each name carries attributes. It's upon the believer to know these attributes, learn these names, and then try to benefit from it as much as possible. And on the flip side, Allah hates that we do the opposite of those attributes. He hates that we are not merciful, we are not generous, we are not uh, loving towards others, we are not people of haya. This would be hateful to Allah, that we are people who have no modesty, have no shyness. Subhanallah. And the Shaykh then moves on and he speaks about a number of ahadith that speaks about the virtue of haya and the encouragement within these ahadith to be from the people of haya. An example is when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in hadith Bukhari Muslim, he said, Al-Imanu bid'un wa sab'una shu'bah that Iman is of 70 odd branches. The highest of these branches is La ilaha illallah. That's the height of Iman, the true, firm belief of there is none worthy of worship except Allah. And that, that word, la ilaha illallah, that statement of ikhlas is extremely powerful and it has many uh, explanations that we can add to it. But that is the highest point of Iman, the true belief in the oneness of Allah and the true tawheed of Allah. And the lowest of these uh, branches of Iman is imatatul adha anil tariq, is to remove something that is harmful out of a path, out of a road, uh, or any pathway or, so, or, or, or something similar to that. Anything harmful, there's a brick in the road, you remove it, this is Iman. It's part of Iman. There's some branches laying that fell in a pathway. There's some thorns, there's some bush, whatever. You remove that, you clear the pathway, you remove that harm, that difficulty, whatever it may cause to people. That is a sign of Iman. That is part of your Iman. That action it comes from your iman. وَالْحَيَاءُ شُعْبَةٌ مِّن شُعَبِ الْإِيمَانِ And then Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, And haya, modesty, haya, shyness, it is a branch from the branches of iman. It's in there somewhere in that 70 odd branches. Modesty is one of them. He specifically mentioned it. Modesty is one of them. So it's a sign of your iman that you're a person who is shy, who is modest, who is not someone who... Uh, is immoral, not someone who is loud or has, has, has bad etiquette and models and so forth. This is not the way of the, of the believer. Another example is a hadith from Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama, he passed by some men from the Ansar who was advising one of his brothers about haya. And so Rasulullah sallallahu said about him, leave that man. And he leave him, let him carry on. For indeed, haya is part of iman. What he is doing is an excellent deed. He's advising his brother, speaking to him about haya, encouraging him to have haya, 
Leave him, let him continue. Because haya is a part of Iman. Another example from Imran ibn Hussain, radiallahu anhu, he said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Al-haya'u la ya'ti illa bi khayrin. Haya does not come except, or does not bring except goodness. Haya does not bring nothing but goodness. In another version of the hadith, Al-haya'u kulluhu khayr. He said, Haya is complete goodness. Or every everything about haya is goodness. Everything about haya is goodness. Yani, a person who's modest and who's shy, this is nothing but goodness. It only brings about good traits and good thoughts about people to this person. And goodness, it comes with more and more goodness. A person who's too shy, or we shouldn't say too shy, rather a person who is shy and modest. Because there's always two extremes. There's the one extreme when a person has no shyness. He does as he wills, right? He has no modesty in front of Allah. He has no modesty in front of people. That's one extreme. The other extreme is a person who's too shy. He's too shy, meaning, for example, um, some, some sort of type of knowledge needs to be sought, needs to be asked, and a person's too shy to ask that question. That is actually another type of extremism where we should avoid. We shouldn't be too shy when we need to stand up or we need to ask. That's, that's being uh, too shy. That is one type of extremism, right, that, that we should avoid. And that's one of the means that blocks a person from seeking knowledge. When he's too shy to ask a question, for example, he's too shy to seek some clarity on an issue, for example, this is, this is not correct, right? This is something that needs to be avoided um, when it needs to be avoided, okay? So there's always two extremes. The middle path is we have shyness in front of Allah. And this is more what we are speaking about. Hayyain towards Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then towards others, right? But as for seeking knowledge and asking questions and so forth, your shyness should not be preventing you from that. Put it that way and Allah knows best. In fact, there's a narration from Aisha, radiallahu anha, Ummul Mu'mineen, where she said, uh, where she prayed, and she praised the woman of the Ansar. And she said, may Allah's mercy be upon them, because their shyness did not prevent them from seeking knowledge. Their shyness did not prevent them from seeking knowledge. They would ask questions. They would come to the Prophet and ask him, even if it was, you know, about private issues, about menstruation, about... Uh, intimacy they would ask the questions and she praised them for this and that's a great lesson especially for the women because usually the women are too shy to, to stand up and ask or even to ask you know today there are different ways of course social media and so forth uh, you could write your question down whichever way you use but don't let your shyness stop you from uh, seeking knowledge the hadith of Sa'id ibn al-Khudri ibn al-Khudri radiallahu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu anhu he said that كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أشد حياء من العذراء في خدرها. That he, the, the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم, he was more shy and modest than a veiled virgin girl. Than a veiled virgin girl. This was the, the, the again the character of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. He was extremely shy. He was not uh, immodel or loud and so forth. Uh, the Sheikh then says that. Al-haya in the slave is one of the best of characteristics and it's khuluqul jameel. It is, it is a beautiful uh, character to have. And it's something that in fact keeps the slave away from falling into that which is uh, 
immoral and it it prevents him from uh, from falling short in fulfilling his rights or fulfilling the rights of others over him as the hadith says إِذَا لَمْ تَسْتَحِي that if you have no shame if you have no modesty if you have no shyness if you have no shame then do as you please then do as you please meaning the one who has no shyness he will do whatever he wants of awahish and munkarat he won't be bothered about what sin he's committing what uh, immorality he's falling into because he has got no haya and haya is the thing that prevents him from doing those deeds he's got some shyness he understands allah sees him and so he's too shy to fulfill these sins because he knows Allah is watching him. And this is haya towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the greatest of haya. It's one thing to be shy in front of people. The greatest shyness is that, more important shyness is that we should be shy towards Allah. That Allah is, we should be too shy that Allah sees us using his favors that he bestowed upon us. We are using those favors to commit sin. This is, you know, the shyness that we should understand and have. This is your taqwa. This is part of your taqwa is that haya. Part of your iman is your haya. So a person with no haya, we know his iman is lacking. A person with no haya will fall into sins often and easily because it's haya that prevents him from falling into the sins. Because he understands Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watching me. Allah knows what I'm doing. You know, with the name Alim, when we spoke about the name Alim, we said it is Akbar Zajir. It is the biggest deterrent. The name Alim, that in Allah is all-knowing, is the biggest deterrent away from sin. That a person who truly knows Allah is Alim, he knows everything, this is the greatest deterrent away from sin. Because he knows, Allah, Allah knows what I'm doing, Allah knows what I'm planning, Allah knows what's going through my mind, what's going through my heart, He knows my, uh, my secrets, He knows everything. So, this is the one who we should be fearing. And this is why the scholars have agreement on this, some of the ulama said, that, it is the greatest deterrent, knowing who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is as Al-Alim, for example. So the greatest of haya and the most important type of haya we said is haya towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To be shy of Allah. To be shy of Allah, this is the most important thing. In a hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Istahyu min Allah haqqal haya. Have modesty, be modest, be shy towards Allah. Haqqal haya. As, he, as you ought to be modest, as he deserves of you to be modest towards him. True, have true haya of Allah. So we said, Ya Rasulullah, the Sahaba, they said, Ya Rasulullah, Inna nastahyi walhamdulillah. They said, Indeed, we are shy. And alhamdulillah. So he said, Laysa dhak. He said, No, it's not that. Walakin al istihya min Allah, haqq al haya, and tahfad al raqs, wa ma wa'a. Wal batna, wa ma hawa. وتذكر الموت والبلاء ومن أراد الآخرة ترك زينة الدنيا فمن فعل ذلك فقد استحيا من الله حق الحياة. The hadith in Tirmidhi and Ahmad and it has been authenticated or crossed as Hassan by Sheikh Albani rahimahullah or Hassan لغيره. The hadith basically says it's not that he said to them. He said true حياة towards Allah is to protect your head and whatever it con- whatever it contains. Whatever is going through the mind. And not just the mind, the head here means your eyes as well. 
and your mouth as well, and your ears as well. It's all of these, uh, all of these parts are included in that. So it's your sight. It includes your sight. What are you looking at? It includes your mouth. What are you saying? What are you talking about? What are you saying? What are you speaking about? And it includes your ears. What are you listening to? Is it ghiba? Is it namima? Tail cutting? Is it lies? Is it slander? Is it music? And so forth. Wallahu musta'an. This is true haya. And of course the mind as well. What are you thinking about? What thoughts are you? Is it pure? Or is it dirty thoughts? Allah musta'an. This is true haya to Allah. That's what the hadith says. وَالْبَطْنَ وَمَا حَوَىٰ And whatever is internal. وَمَا حَوَىٰ And whatever it, it contains. Meaning? What you consume, for example, your eating, your drinking, your private parts, all of this is part of haya. The one who has that true haya, he will protect all of these parts of his. And whatever he is doing with these parts, it will be done out of this. Will, his haya towards Allah will protect him from sinning with these parts of his body. This is basically what this hadith is, is, is mentioning. And then the Prophet sallallahu added to this and he said, it's also remembering mouth, death, and bala, and fitna, and test, and trials. This is also haya. That you think about death, for example, that imagine I die in this state. Should I not be shy of that? Imagine I die and I'm doing something haram. And this is how people find my body. And in this state. You know, should I not be shy of that? He thinks of death, for example. Oh, I'm going to meet Allah in this state. I'm going to be resurrected in this state. Because you resur- be resurrected the way you died. Imagine I'm going to be resurrected like this. Imagine, subhanAllah, we stand up in front of creation and this is our condition. Whatever the sin could be, sins are in the thousands. You should be thinking of mawt, this is part of haya. Another example, another thing was mentioned was bala. Think of Fitna, think of trials. Imagine something befalls you because of this. Imagine because of this sin that you are not being shy over, something else befalls you, some fitna afflicts you, and so forth. So we should be fearful. This is part of haya. That you are scared, that you are fearful, that your haya that prevents you from, from, from going through. So think about the consequences of your sin, for example. What if I die in the state? Think of death. What think of uh, the bala, the various fitnas and trials and so forth. Uh, then the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, whoever wants the akhirah, he will leave off the adornments of the dunya. He will leave off the adornments of the dunya. This is also haya. That you leave off the adornments of the dunya because you want the adornment of the akhirah. So you don't strive too much for this world. This is not your main goal. And you do not uh, do that which is haram to acquire the dunya. For example, right? We spoke about Jamal last week when we spoke about Allah's name Jamil, he loves it which is beautiful. There's a balance. We are allowed to look nice, dress well, have nice cars and so forth, as long as everything along with that is in line and it goes with the Sharia. You know? No showing off, no extravagance, no wasting, and so forth. But that's not our main concern either. So part of that Jamal that we have, a nice watch, a nice thobe, nice car, nice house. Part of that is that does not divert you away from the remembrance of Allah. That does not become your main goal. That doesn't distract you away from worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. So whosoever does this, these things that we mentioned, protects his head and all those uh, 
parts like the eyes and the hearing and the, the speaking and the mouth and all those things. And his internal parts, his, what he eats and drinks and his private parts. And he remembers death and he remembers fitna and obala and trials. And he gives up the adornments of this dunya. Whosoever does that, فَقَدْ اِسْتَحْيَا مِنَ اللَّهِ حَقَّ الْحَيَاءِ This person has shown that modesty towards Allah, حَقَّ الْحَيَاءِ that, that Allah deserves of him. The true proper type of modesty and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us hayah, especially the hayah of him, of, of he himself. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes us of his slaves that fear him in private and in public. Wallahu a'lam. The next name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Allah's name As-Sitir. And this is how the Sheikh mentioned it in the book As-Sitir. Sinta yara sitir with a kasra and a shadda on the ta and also a kasra sitir. However, I've come across other scholars who have differed with this uh, way of pronouncing the name of Allah. So they agree this is a name of Allah. But instead of saying sitir, they say Allah is satir. Allah is satir. So it's still spelled the exact same way. But the way they pronounce it is satir as opposed to sitir. And the scholars differ over the way this name should be pronounced. The, the, the view of satir makes sense. Because it's similar, it's on the same scale in Arabic as many of the other names of Allah like karim. Satir, Aziz, right? So it's on the scale of Fa'il, right? For those who study Arabic, you know the, fa- the Fa'la and those stories. On that scale is Fa'il. M- many of Allah's names is on the scale. Jamil. So the first letter has a Fatha, right? So it's Sa or Fa Karim, Rahim, and so forth. Many, almost most of the names are like this, right? Jamil, right? Similar to this, they said the name is therefore Satir. Satir as opposed to Sitir. As opposed to Sitir. And Allah knows best. So, I'm going to go with that interpretation of the name. That the name is Satir and not necessarily Sitir. Although some scholars mentioned it as Sitir as Sheikh Abdul Razak, Hafizullah, may Allah preserve him. Our beloved Sheikh, he mentions it as Sitir. Right, I've, I've seen Shaykh Al-Bani also mentioned it as Sitir and others as we said mentioned it as Satir. Okay, the likes of Shaykh Adam Al-Ethiopi and other muhaddithin and scholars as well mentioned it as Satir and Allah knows best. So where is this name found? This name is not found in the Quran. Again, it's found in the Sunnah of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And we mentioned this hadith in the previous chapter where we spoke about the name Hayy. Allah as being the most modest or the most shy. The same hadith we'll mention where the Prophet wasallam saw a man taking a bath in a public place without a, 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 a lower wrapper or a, 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 naam, a garment wrapped around his lower body. So he ascended the minbar, praised Allah and he said, Indeed Allah is hayyun, the most shy, and he is sitir or satir. Right? This is where the scholars differed. He is hayyun, satirun. He is modest and he is satir, which means he is veiling. He is the one who veils. Satir is the one who veils or the one who covers. Yuhibbul haya wa sitir. He loves haya, Allah loves modesty 
and he loves veiling. He loves veiling. So if any of you takes a bath, let him cover himself or veil himself. طيب. Um, in the tafsir of Abu Ibn Abi Hatim and Al-Bayhaqi, narrate, there's a narration from Ikrimah, who narrated from Ibn Abbas, the Sahabi, that two men asked him about the permission that was sought regarding the three times of privacy which Allah Taala instructed in the Quran. So this is in Surah An-Nur, if you, if you check this ayah, where Allah basically instructed the believers that those who are within their homes, for example, like the servants and those who are, you know, in and out of the house, at least three times a day, they have to seek permission before they enter your private chambers or your bedroom, basically. So Allah mentioned it three times in the Quran. Three times with there must be complete privacy at least. And that is before the Salatul Fajr, after the noon or at noon basically where people generally take a nap. So in that time they, they you know they take off their work clothes or their, their regular clothes and they go and lay down. Right? It was the the Ada at that time at least uh, you know we call it the siesta or a qailula, they take a short nap at noon. This time is mentioned, and after Salatul Isha is mentioned, after the basically late night, okay. At this point, those slaves that maybe work in the homes or that they used to have, even if they were youngsters, for example, they should not enter you or your your your, your chambers or your room except that they seek permission before they enter. So this was asked. This three times people came to Ibn Abbas, who was known for his great knowledge of tafsir, and asked him about this. And he said, he responded by saying, Inna Allah satirun yuhibbu sitr. Indeed, Allah is satir. Allah is the one who veils and he loves veiling. He loves that things are covered and veiled. And things are not open and, and public for all to see. And he said, nas, Basically, Ibn Abbas, to summarize it's a lengthy paragraph, he basically says that the people back then, they did not have uh, sutur, you know, coverings or Hijal, like partitions, for example. Everything was like open plan, if you like. So sometimes what used to happen was, yes, a man would be surprised by his, his servant or by his son or by his orphan. And this person would just enter and this man may be, you know, having intimacy with his wife. So there would be an intimate moment happening in the house and somebody would just enter. And everything is open. Right? And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructed that they must have this at least this time of privacy where they are nobody's allowed to come in because generally that was the time where people would be intimate. Early in the morning before Fajr, they would wake up and they are maybe in bed with their spouse or at noon when they lay down together or at night when they spend time together. So at least during those times they should not enter. This is basically uh, some of the tafsir that he's mentioning and so forth. Then after that, the instruction for Sutur came in. There must be now be partitions and so forth, uh, which, which they then fulfilled. Um, and then they got partitioning, you know, curtains and partitioning and so forth. Um, and this was, they, they saw as something sufficient for them. And I think it's, it's still like that today. Alhamdulillah, we got our curtains, we got our partitioning, the rooms and so forth. And there's privacy. And this is what Allah loves. He loves that there's privacy. He loves that things are covered and veiled. And it's not for all to see. You understand? So the main point here is, what did Ibn Abbas say about that ayah? 
when they asked him about it, he said, Inna Allah satirun yuhibbu sitr. Indeed, Allah is satir. And he loves uh, to cover things, that things be covered or veiled, and so forth. Before we move on, sometimes people mention the name Sattar to be a name of Allah. Sattar, Sinta Alifara, Sattar. So some people, you often you find a name Abdus Sattar, Abdus Sattar, right? Abdus Sattar, meaning the slave of As-Sattar. However, the ulama have mentioned that the name Sattar is not found in any ayah of the Quran, nor in any authentic hadith, which means it's not a name of Allah. The names of Allah are tawqifi, meaning they can only, uh, we cannot give Allah a name. Allah has named himself in the Quran and via a hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Those are the names of Allah. Beyond that, no other name can be accepted. So the name, for example, Sattar is not a name of Allah. The correct name is Satir. That's the name which, which, which incorporates the meaning of Sattar, which means to cover or to veil or to conceal. So the name is not Satar, it is Satir, or as some scholars said, Sitir, right? But we said we're going with the name Satir, and Allah knows best. So what does this name mean? Uh, the Sheikh says, as Satir is the one who veils his slaves from so many things, in so many ways. Allah does not expose them in the open for all to see. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as Satir, he loves that the slaves that they veil themselves and that they do not expose themselves and humiliate themselves and so this is who Allah is and this attribute and this name of Allah is truly a, a rahmah upon us and a virtue upon us and it's part of Allah's hilm it's part of his forbearingness and his kindness towards us because the slave as the sheikh says he may commit sins fall into major sin even though he is completely in need of Allah and in dire need of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even though it's not possible for him to commit that sin except that he was courageous enough to commit that sin using the favors of, using the favors of Allah. You listen to music, you watch something haram using your eyes which is a favor of Allah, using your ears which is a favor, you touch something haram using your hand which is a favor and so forth. Wallahu al-musta'an. This is the slave. But yet Allah is satir. This is the nature of insan. We commit sin night and day. Yet Allah is satir. Yet he, he conceals our sin. Yet he protects us from being exposed. And from being humiliated. This is why the sheikh says it's, a, it's part of his hilm. It's part of his forbearing nature. It's part of his kindness. It's part of his mercy upon us. His compassion upon us. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he then says that as for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with his perfect self-sufficientness that he's not in need of creation at all not in need of their worship or their servitude with everything he still shows them that kindness he still you know shows them shyness he still shows them modesty he still conceals their faults he doesn't need us not for a moment for him to expose us would not harm him for him to expose us would not decrease from him or take anything away from him. But yet he, yet he conceals, yet he covers up. Yet he, to the next step, he allows us to make tawbah and he accepts our tawbah and he forgives our sins and he pardons us. And this is the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
This is the compassion of Allah. This is the hilm, that forbearing nature of Allah Azza wa Jal. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ سُوءًا أَوْ يَظْلِمْ نَفْسَهُ Whomsoever does any evil deed, or he wrongs himself by sinning, by transgressing, ثُمَّ يَسْتَغْفِرِ اللَّهِ Then he seeks the forgiveness of Allah, يَجِدِ اللَّهَ غَفُورًا رَحِيمًا He will only find Allah as غَفُورًا رَحِيمًا He will find Allah as being full of forgiveness, oft forgiving and merciful and compassionate. You can commit sin after sin, wrong yourself in so many ways. The moment you, you seek forgiveness, you will find Allah غَفُورًا رَحِيمًا Subhanallah. Surah Nisa, verse 110. In Surah Tawbah, Allah says, Alam ya'lamu anna Allah huwa yaqbalu tawbata an ibadih. Do they not know that Allah is the one who accepts the tawbah from his slaves? Wa ya'khudu sadaqat, and he takes the sadaqat. Wa anna Allah huwa at-tawab ar-rahim, and he is at-tawab, the one who accepts repentance, ar-rahim, the merciful. In Surah Shura, Allah says, Wa huwa alladhi yaqbalu tawbata an ibadih, wa ya'fu an isayyat, wa ya'lamu ma taf'alun. He is the one who accepts the tawbah from his slaves, pardons their sins, and he knows exactly what they do. This is the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Shabd Razak carries on and he says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he hates that his slaves, when they fall into sin, that they announce their sin and that they publicize their sin. Rather Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he invites us to tawbah, that we turn to him and it's between us and him. We commit sin, we turn back to him. Oh Allah, forgive me. Oh Allah, have mercy on me. Oh Allah, I did this. Oh Allah, and we, we beg Allah and we promise to change our ways and so forth. And then the sitter of Allah follows. The, 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 the veiling, the, the concealment of that sin of Allah is there. We, it, it remains concealed and uncovered. Alhamdulillah. And Allah does not expose it to anybody. To anybody, even the closest person to you. Many times they don't know about your sin because it's between you and Allah and you should keep it that way. You should never publicize your sin. In fact, from the most hated of people to Allah is the one who commits sin. Whilst Allah concealed his sin, then when he wakes up, or when he comes out, he opens up his book of sins to all. The hadith in Bukhari and Muslim from Abu Hurairah, radiallahu anhu, he said, I heard the message of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saying, Kullu ummati mu'afa illa al-mujahirin. He says, all of my ummah will be forgiven and pardoned, except for the mujahirin. Mujahirin. Who are the mujahirin? He says, wa inna min al-mujahara. Who are they? What do they do? From those who, do, the mujahirin are those who, ya'malu rajula bil-layli amalan wa qad satarahu Allah. A man, he does something at night. Whilst Allah concealed it. And he did something of sin, obviously, something bad, something evil, some immorality. And Allah concealed that sin. فَيَقُولُ يَا فُلَانَ عَمِلْتُ الْبَارِحَ كَذَا وَكَذَا وَقَدْ بَاتَ يَسْتُرُهُ رَبُّهُ وَيُصْبِحُ يَكْشِفُ سَتْرُ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ So this man, he then went to sleep, he wakes up, and immediately he goes to, to somebody and he says, oh, so-and-so, Yesterday I did this and I did that. Last night I did this and yes, and last night I did that. Yet Allah allowed him to sleep and spend the night, for example, under his sitter, under his veil. Meaning Allah did not expose his sin. Allah concealed his sin. 
But in the morning he comes out and he exposes himself. He exposes and he removes. He is the one who removes the veil of Allah himself. That's what the hadith basically Those are the mujahideen. The people who commit sin, whilst Allah conceals their sins, they then come out and they expose their sins by themselves. They expose themselves. And many a times you find these people brag about their sins. And they show off. And they are proud about it. And this is why it's such an evil thing. A believer who commits a sin, he feels bad. So he makes tawbah. He turns back to Allah. He keeps it. He has, he has haya as we spoke about. He's too shy to, to let others know what he did. What has happened. So what does he do? He conceals the sin. He keeps it between him and Allah. And then he speaks to Allah and he begs Allah for forgiveness. But the mujahideen are those who basically they don't care. They are basically stubborn. And they have this level of no haya. This is this immorality. No haya, no shyness, no modesty. Nothing to Allah, nothing to the messenger. And nothing to the righteous people. So they don't care who knows what they've done. They don't care that people out there know what they've done. And, and this is why it's so dangerous. Because to show off means there's no haya. And that means there's very little iman. Or that the iman is, is seriously lacking. Because ma'asi, sin, as the sheikh says, he says, it, it humiliates a person. Your sin is humiliation for you. It should not be showing off and bragging about it. So, this is why the, the mujahideen are so hated to Allah. Because it shows there's no haya, it shows the iman is daily, and it shows there's arrogance. That they will be the ones to expose themselves. They don't even need Allah directly to expose. They will openly say, I did this and I committed zina and I did that and Allah musta'an. So the mujahir, they will not be forgiven. Right? They will not be forgiven. That's what the hadith says. Uh, if they repented and really changed their ways, they will then be forgiven. But as long as they are, this is their way, then Allah will not forgive them. But if they give up the mujahara, that issue of, you know, publicizing their sins. And they purely, truly repent. Then Allah will, will, will then still forgive them. In the hadith in Sahih Muslim, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said, Allah does not conceal this, uh, who does not veil one of his slaves in this dunya, except that he will veil them in the akhirah. He will also veil them in the akhirah. So whomsoever is veiled in this dunya, he will be veiled in the akhirah as well. So again, this shows the series of the Mujahireen. They have unveiled themselves, which means in the Akhirah they are most likely going to be unveiled. Wallahu musta'an. But the person who, you know, keeps between him and, him and Allah, he will be veiled like Allah veils him in this dunya. Allah will veil him in the Akhirah as well. And so therefore the Sheikh says that it's only wajib upon us as the slaves of Allah to strive against our nafs and to try to keep away from sin as far as possible. And from committing sins. And if we fall into some sin, then immediately we should turn back to Allah. And we should try our best to conceal that sin, that nobody knows about the sin. And then rush towards Allah and make tawbah towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala immediately. And turn to Him in repentance and beg Him for His mercy and forgiveness. And to then increase in righteous deeds. To do as much salihat as possible. To do as much righteous deeds as possible. And this is proven in a hadith, a beautiful hadith from Abdullah bin Mas'ud, عنه, which is in Sahih Muslim, that a man came to the Prophet وسلم, and he said, Ya Rasulullah, I was intimate with a woman yesterday, or I was intimate with a woman in some part of the city. And basically, we were quite intimate, except that we, had, we did not have intercourse. That's in a nutshell what he said. 
So yeah, I am. Do with me what you need to do. So Umar radiallahu anhu said, indeed you have exposed yourself. Whilst Allah had veiled yourself. Allah concealed your sin, you have now exposed your sin. And so the Prophet ﷺ kept quiet, did not respond to the man until the man left. Man stood up and he left. And then the Prophet ﷺ eventually followed him. Or rather, he sent a man after him. He sent one of the Sahaba after this man to recite a verse to him. And he recited to him a verse in Surah Hud, verse 114. And establish salah on the two ends of the day and the time when the approaching of the night comes. Zulafa min al-layl. Inna la hasanati yudhibna sayyat. And then he said, indeed, hasanat, good deeds, righteous deeds, yudhibna sayyat. It does away with your bad deeds. It does away with your evil deeds. This is a reminder for those who remember. Those who remember will remember this. It's a reminder for them. They will take note. Yani we all commit sin. What should we do after the sin? Try to do a good deed. Because that good deed might wipe out the bad deed. Right? In another hadith he said, and follow up a bad deed with a good deed. Which will wipe out the bad deed. It will wipe it out. So this is what we should do. When this happened, a man stood up and said, Ya Nabi Allah, O Prophet of Allah, هذا له خاصة? Is that something specific for him? This ayah and so forth that you recited, you told him now to do good deeds. Is that for him alone? For him, this man who nearly committed zina. Is this for him alone? He said, بَلْ لِلنَّاسِ كَافَةً Rather, it's for all people. It's for all people. يعني, this message is for all. That if you commit sin, follow it up with righteousness. It will wipe out the sin. So we make tawbah, we conceal our sins, we don't publicize the sins. We turn to Allah and we try to do as many good deeds as possible. Um, <clears throat> the next point the Sheikh mentions is that the issue of veiling and concealing of sin is not just between us and Allah, but rather we should also acquire this characteristic from Allah. Like Allah shows us sitir and he is satir, we should also try and be satir to others as best as we can be. Meaning, when we see others committing sins and we see others falling into sin and falling into some evil or some bad or some fault, we should not go out and expose them immediately. Right? Of course, there's nasiha. We advise and we advise and we advise. But to publicly humiliate them, this is against the sunnah of Allah. It's not the way of Allah and this is something hated to Allah. In fact, the hadith says that the Prophet said, O oh, people who believe with their tongues, but yet Iman hasn't entered their hearts yet. La taghtabul muslimin. Do not backbite the Muslims. That's the first thing. Don't backbite about the Muslims. Wala tattabi'u awratahum. And don't follow up their awras. Awra yeah, actually means their, their sins, their faults. Don't follow up on their faults. You don't need to go find out what he did and what she did and what this one did and what that one did. Don't be bothered by what they did. Worry about yourself. Instead of, so the hadith basically says, don't go and follow other people's mistakes and other people's faults. For whomsoever follows up other people's faults, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will follow up his. And whomsoever, whomsoever's faults, Allah follows up. So if Allah does this to somebody, يَفْضَحُهُ fi baiti. That person will be exposed even if he's within his house. Even if you're sitting safely in your home, 
you are going to be exposed somehow or something. Because Al-Jaza' means Amal, as the saying goes, that you will get, you know, what you do to others. Or uh, like you do will be done to you. Or your reward will be as, you know, what you do from what you do. The reward that you get will come from, from your deeds, from, from, the, from the type of deeds that you do. So if you are someone who tries to expose, expose others, then you should know you will be exposed as well. This is basically what the hadith is telling us. You are trying, you're following up on other sins and other people did this and other people did that and you're talking about this one and that one, ghiba and exposing this one and subhanallah what's going to happen is it's going to come back to you and Allah will expose you. Allah will expose you himself. That's what the hadith tells us. Even if you're sitting safely at home, even if you are at home safely, you're not even out there, you're not in danger in any way, somehow it will come out what you are doing, what you have done and so forth. And this is the danger of exposing people or talking about people's sins or talking about people's faults. When it was something unknown and you now bring it to others' attentions and say, look, this one is like that and he's like this and he's like that, then this is going to come back to you. And Allah will expose you even if you are sitting safely somewhere. Subhanallah. And this is something extremely powerful, especially in today's time. Because this is a major fitna that is befallen the Muslims that we expose each other for fun. And we look for people's faults. Sometimes the person hasn't even made a fault, hasn't even erred. But we can't wait for him to fault. We can't wait for him to err. And immediately the moment he says something or does something, we immediately shun him. We immediately expose him online and do this. And Allah, this is not the way of the believer. Right? And this is something hated to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the person who does this will be exposed by Allah himself. As the hadith says. So we've got nasiha. If you meet together to talk about something, about someone, to advise him, that is nasiha, that's fine. But to talk about it and to create fitna, this is against the way of, the, of, 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 of Allah and the Messenger. Uh, Another hadith says, Man satara musliman, satarahu Allahu yawm al-qiyamah. Whomsoever conceals and veils the, the a Muslim, you cover up somebody's sins, Allah will cover that person up on, on qiyamah. Again, that's what you did of good, you will get that same goodness tenfold by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at least. So it's wajib upon the believer is that we we conceal our sins, that Allah has concealed. And we stay as far away from sin. Whether it's open or in secret or apparent, we stay far away. We we cover up our awrah. We we conceal ourselves and our faults and our weaknesses and and our physical bodies as well. And we protect our honor. This is part of your honor that you conceal your sin. And we stay away from all evil and any door that can lead to corruption, fasad, we stay away from. And we turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, ta'iban muniban, in repentance, begging Him, turning to Him sincerely. And we hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He will protect us and guard us as He guards His righteous servants. And that He will conceal our sins and our faults and our flaws. And that he will bless us with his forgiveness and his safety and his pardon. The Sheikh says it's upon us to make dua for these things daily. And not just for ourselves, for those who are close to us and that those who are beloved to us as well. And again, there's a beautiful dhikr from the adhkar of the sabah and masa, morning and evening adhkar. We see how important these duas are, subhanAllah. Imam Ahmad narrates from Abdullah ibn Umar, radiallahu anhumah, 
that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he never left off this dua morning and evening. He never left it off. What was the dua? Allahumma inna as'aluka al-afiyah fi dunya wal akhirah. Oh Allah, I ask you for safety, security in this world and in the akhirah. Allahumma inna as'aluka al-afwa wal-afiyah. Oh Allah, I ask you for pardon and for safety and security in my deen, my religion. Protect my deen from all the doubts and shubuhat, from all the misconceptions that are out there, from all the misguidances that are out there and bad opinions and uh, sects and these things. What dunya? I ask you for protection in my dunyawi affairs, all of my worldly affairs. Keep it safe, keep it, uh, protect me within it. Wa ahli wa mali, and protect my family. I ask you for safety regarding my family and security, that you protect them, my family, my kids, my, my parents, my brothers, my sisters, and so forth. Wa mali, and my, all of my possessions and my wealth, protect it. That's what you are asking Allah from morning and evening. Also, the other one was, fit dunya wal akhirah. So everything in this dunya, Everything in the Akhirah, safety in the Akhirah, from whether it's Qiyamah, whether it's the Barzakh, whether it is uh, the Akhirah meaning Jannah or Jahannam, we want safety from, the, from Jahannam, that we entered into paradise and so forth. And then we say, Allahumma stur awrati, oh Allah, conceal my awrah, conceal my, my faults, my flaws, my weaknesses. Wa amin raw'ati, and protect me from that which causes me worry or grief or anxiety Allahumma ahfadhi min bayni yaday wa min khalfi wa an yamini wa an shimali wa min fawqi wa min wa a'udhu bi a'zamatika an ukhtala min tahti Oh Allah protect me guard me from that which is in front of me behind me from my right hand side my left hand side from above me and that I be over or, or uh, basically ukhtala min tahti and I seek refuge in your greatness from being overcome or struck down from below me or, or basically that the earth can suck you in for example that this does not happen to me so the sheikh you know he mentions this dua because of that part Allahumma stur awrati the dua as we can see has so many benefits to it but specifically this part Allahumma stur awrati oh Allah conceal my awrah my faults my flaws my weaknesses this is what you are asking Allah for morning and evening and it's of utmost importance right what's meant by awrah here is all of one's faults, all of your shortcomings, anything that you hate to be exposed, that you don't want people to know about you, whether it could be physical, it could be something that you're doing uh, in private, it could be something that's between you and Allah, it could be a sin, it could be anything. This is part of your word awrah. This is what you are asking Allah for every morning. Allah protects you from all of this, that this is not exposed to anybody, that this is not exposed to uh, anybody. Um, and also, don't expose my physical aura. The sheikh says, this is part of this meaning. Don't expose my physical aura. Help me guard my aura. Guard my aura and you are, and help me guard my aura. You know? So for the man, it's between the navel and the knee. So from just above the knee to the bottom of the navel, that's the aura of a man. As for the woman, the sheikh says, it's all of her body. Right? It's the whole body. And of course, difference of opinion here is the face part of the aura or not. The sheikh is of the opinion it is. Many of the scholars say the face is aura, so it's far to cover. Other ulama say it's not far. There's a difference of opinion. The hands can be open, and again, the feet is differed over, but best definitely to cover the feet as well. Um, this should be covered for the woman. And when you say this dua, you are asking Allah to help you cover it and for Him to cover it for you as well. So we should be keeping up with this dua. And the sheikh says, yeah, especially the woman, especially this part, that Allah keeps them firm in covering their awrah. That Allah can help them and protect them 
with his sitr to, to, to veil themselves and to cover their bodies and so forth. Alhamdulillah. Right? And then he says, of course, they should purify themselves and uh, by wearing the proper, appropriate clothing and so forth that did not become of those who are mutabarrijat and bizina, those who, you know, expose their beauty and, and so forth. This is, of course, uh, something that is undoubtedly haram. Wallahu a'lam. We'll end off with one more name, which is the name of Allah, As-Sayyid. As-Sayyid. The name of Allah, As-Sayyid, which means the master. The name of Allah, As-Sayyid, means the master. This hadith is also, or this, this name is also found in a hadith that's about Abu Dawood from Abdullah ibn Shikhir radiallahu anhu. He said that it was said to the Prophet Anta Sayyiduna, you are our Sayyid. You are our master. And he then said, As-Sayyidullah tabaraka wa ta'ala. Allah is our Sayyid. Allah is the Sayyid tabaraka wa ta'ala. And they said, you are the best of us and the most generous of us. And he then said to them, say what you are saying or what some of what you are saying, but don't be extravagant in what you are saying about me, lest the shaitan drags you further. Lest he drags you upon you uh, further away. Right? That's the hadith in Abu Dawood and others. Ibn Abbas also mentioned about the ayah, قُلْ أَغَيْرَ اللَّهِ أَبْغِي رَبَّا In Surah Al-An'am verse 164, Say, O Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Is it a Lord other than Allah that you desire? Do you desire a Lord other than Allah? And here he said, on this morning he said, إِلَاهًا سَيِّدًا Are you looking for a different Ilah, a different master, a different Sayyid? So here he again mentioned this name, Sayyid, in, uh, as part of the Tafsir. So what's, mentioned, what's meant by a Sayyid means the master, the one who truly is in authority, who has dominion over everything, the one who truly is perfect in his eminence, in his perfection, he is the owner, he is the mawla, he is the lord, and everything else unto him is created. Everything else unto him is subjected. Everything else unto him is subdued. And everything else unto him is in dire need of him. This is the perfect master, whilst everything else is below him and beneath him and in need of him. He is the one who, you know, he is the one who creates. What he wants will happen, will happen. What he does not want to happen, will not happen. This, this is speaking about the perfection and the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, on this issue. The Sheikh then points out that again this name teaches us Tawheed like all of the other names. And it's one of the clearest proofs against Shirk. That if Allah is the perfect master, then how can we worship other than Him? And how can we ascribe a partner unto Him? And we look at the hadith that we mentioned in the, in initially. We, we, we reflect over this hadith. We see how Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam took care of Tawheed. And how much he emphasized the importance of Tawheed. And he distanced his teachings was, distant, was to distance us away from shirk as much as possible. So when they said to him, you are our Sayyid. What did he say? As-Sayyidullah. Allah is the Sayyid. Tabaraka wa ta'ala, he is the Sayyid. This is to try to keep them away from overpraising him as much as he possibly could. And then he said, don't let the shaitan drag you away. Even though what they were saying was true. They said, you are the best of us and you are the most generous of us. They were praising him. But he immediately said, say what you, say what you are saying. Some of what you are saying, but don't let the shaitan drag you any further. He made it very clear. 
And when they said you are our Sayyid, a Sayyid is Allah. See how he took the opportunity to put a, a, a stop to any potential shirk, to any potential ghulu. Ghulu means excessive reverence. That they might excessively praise him or excessively revere him and go beyond the bounds. He immediately put a stop to this. And this is, there are so many examples of this in the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam where he preserved Tawheed and he made sure that his teachings is a teaching that distances people away from shirk as much as possible. Another example of this is where uh, people said to the Messenger of Allah, Ya Khairana wa Ibn Khairina, Oh, the best of us, the son of the best of us, Ya Sayyidina, our master, the, best, uh, the son of our master. And the Prophet said to them, Ya Ayyuhan Nas, O oh people, Alaykum bi qawlikum, wa la yastahwiyannakum shaytan. Say what you want to say, but don't let the shaytan deceive you. Don't let him humiliate, don't let him take you further. Because I don't want you to raise me fawqa manzilati, above my manzila. Don't raise me over my status. This is my status. Don't go beyond that status. Allati anzalani Allahu ta'ala. This is my status which Allah has given to me. I don't want you to go and raise me above that status. Ana Muhammad ibn Abdullah, abduhu wa rasuluh. I am Muhammad, the slave of Allah. Abduhu wa rasuluh. He is slave and he is messenger. And the scholars have said, this is the greatest way to praise him. That he is the slave of Allah and the messenger of Allah. If you really want to praise him, we should call him as he, Allah calls him. As he called himself. Abduhu wa rasuluh. His slave and his messenger. His best slave and his best messenger. This is Rasulullah Sallallahu And he made sure that the people don't go beyond the bounds. When they were praising him, he said, say what you are saying, fine, but don't let the shaitan take you further. Or don't, be, don't exaggerate what you are saying. Because shaitan is going to take you further. And I don't want you to raise me in my status above my status which Allah has given me. I am Muhammad, the slave of Allah and the mes- and the Abdu Rasulu, his slave and his messenger. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He was the greatest slave of Allah, the Imam of the Muttaqeen, and his teachings were the best of teachings after the teachings of Allah Azza wa Jal. But look how he put a stop to shirk. Any that could possibly lead to shirk, he put a stop to it. And he said in Hadith Bukhari, لا تطروني كما أطرت النصارى بن مريم Don't exaggerate about me. Like the Nasara, the Christians exaggerated over the son of Maryam. Isa alayhi salam, Jesus. فإنما أنا عبده. Because I am only his slave. فقولوا عبد الله ورسوله. So say, from now on as you say, the messenger of Allah and his slave. Again making it extremely clear not to overpraise the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Not to exaggerate in your praises. So some might argue and say, but how is it possible that we can overpraise the messenger? How can you people say that you are overpraising? Subhanallah, how can you praise the Prophet too much? So to them, uh, you know, it seems like we are belittling the messenger when we say this. Wallahi, this is the teaching of the messenger. This is the teaching of the messenger. This is not belittling the This is putting the messenger in his, in his manzila, as he said we should do. So we say he's the slave of Allah and the messenger of Allah. And we say he's the best of creation. And we say he is uh, the one who received the wahi, the one who will be raised and he will be the leader of the people of paradise. And so many things we say about him which is true and established. 
sallallahu alayhi wasallam and we love him more than we love ourselves and more than we love our families and we follow him more than we follow follow our families and follow our desires we follow him firstly after we follow Allah second to our love to Allah is the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam but this does not equal overpraising what does overpraising mean we raise his rank unto the rank of Allah this is overpraising the moment we go and we say that for example we can direct worship to him. The Christian said he is the son of Allah. The Jew said Uzayl is the son of Allah. It's overpraise. Overpraise also likening him to Allah. We've seen some deviant scholars say that the Prophet ﷺ is Samir al-Basir. He's all hearing, all seeing. This is known. We've seen it. We've heard him say it. We've seen some, some of them say he knows the ilmul ghaib. He knows the knowledge of the unseen. This is extremism. This is ghulu. This is now raising his rank beyond his rank. You are now taking him into the realm of lordship. And also the issue of worship. That a person turns to him and says, Ya Rasulullah, help me. Ya Rasulullah, bless me. Ya Rasulullah, guide me. Ya Rasulullah, save me. Ya Rasulullah, bless me or provide for me or sustain me. Now it becomes an act of worshipping him, which is shirk billah. It is act of major shirk with Allah Azza wa Jal when we direct our worship to the messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam because he is not Allah he is the slave of Allah the best slave of Allah and the best of messengers of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam so this is the, the teaching of Rasul this is excessive praise this is ghulu and ghulu is existed ghulu was the reason shirk started in the time of Nabi Nuh Alayhi Salam the people took the statues of righteous people who passed away and they put some pictures there over time, what happened? We'll be doing this to remember them. Next generation came, uh, we took it a step further. Next generation came, to some idols. Next generation came, next step, until those idols were being worshipped. Because of Hulu. Because, no, these are righteous people. And extremism led to more extremism. And this is what Hulu is, extreme reverence. So, this is not permissible for anybody to excessively revere them, even for Rasulullah sallallahu Right? Reverence uh, is to each person's manzila. For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we revere him the, the greatest. Then the Prophet But he's to a level. As he said, I don't want you to raise me above this level. This is his teachings, not our teachings. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. At the end of the chapter, the Shaykh basically mentions that even just general praising people over too much, even if it doesn't need to worship, it's still not permissible. As a man came and he praised another man in front of the Prophet and he said وَيْحَكْ قَطَعْتَ عُنُقَ عُنْقَ صَاحِبَكَ He said, woe to you, you have cut the neck of your brother over praising him in his face. Another example was the Prophet said, if you see the maddahin, those people who are always praising others, you know, always over praising people, فَحْثُوا فِي وُجُوهِمُ التُّرَابِ Then you should throw some dust in his face, throw some dust in his face, because what he's doing is not from the sunnah, it's not correct, it's not appropriate. And what happens is, that person may start to love that praise. So you praise him for this, and you praise him for his knowledge and his recitation, or you praise him for his looks, or you praise him for his wealth, or you praise him for this sadaqah that he gave, or for whatever it may be. And he starts to love the praise, and he starts to seek the praise. And the next thing you know, he's doing things for praise, Allah musta'an. So it's something that we should avoid, over-praising people. And when they don't get praise, they feel as if they didn't do enough. That's what happens, so shaitan does. So 
when you overpraise a person, it's actually a bad thing for him. So there's a difference. Again, there's a line we should not cross. There's encouraging people, and then there is overpraising people, or praising them in their face all the time, or praising them. This is not appropriate because that person may start to love praise, and he may start to be, he may start seeking that praise. He wants to hear people praise him all the time. Mashallah, you recited beauty. Mashallah, you did this. Mashallah, your talk was like this. Or oh, I saw you did this. Or oh, we saw you donated this. And so forth. And when he doesn't get the praise, he feels as if he didn't, he didn't do enough. Or he didn't do well enough. So he, he tries to do more until he gets the praise that he's looking for. Subhanallah. And this is why the Prophet Sallallahu he forbid this. And he said that you've cut the neck of your brother when you praise him like that. And when you see these people who are like this, throw some dust in their face. And so they can put a stop to this type of behavior. Wallahu musta'an. Um, and if a person starts to love praise, then this is against his, his, perfect, his perfection of tawheed. Because he should be seeking the happiness and the pleasure of Allah alone and not that of the people. So overpraising can lead to many harms and it's not something appropriate. It, there's a time and place for some praise and there's a time and place for encouragement. But don't overdo it. Don't overstep the bounds because you are only cutting the neck of your brother. If you truly love him and appreciate him what he's done, keep it, you know, alhamdulillah, jazakallah khair, and you carry on. You know, and encourage him here and there to carry on and here and there, what, uh, for what, 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 uh, you know, whatever needs to be done. But overpraising is not appropriate. Uh, alhamdulillah, this is the teachings of Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi uh, And his guidance is the best of guidance, as the hadith says. So we ask Allah Azza wa Jal to guide us and to protect us and to keep us firm upon the Quran and the Sunnah and to follow, be of those who follow the way of the righteous companions uh, ta'ala anhum and that we be of those who understand his names and attributes and of those who follow up and act and worship him through these names and attributes. Amin ya Rabbil Alameen wa sallallahu ala nabiyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk.